On today's edition of Locked On Jayhawks, we're joined by Scott Chasen to discuss the KUQB position and situation. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 on KLWN in Lawrence. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's edition of Locked On Jayhawks, we're joined by Scott Chasen to discuss Jason Bean, to discuss the whole Jalen Daniels situation, as well as worst coaching decisions of the week. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Scott Chasen of Booth Review with Kansas City Sports Network joins us now on Locked On Jayhawks. And last night was just Twitter mania, or last night from when we're recording. This will come out on Thursday with what is going on with Jalen Daniels' injury. There was the tweet from Zach Boyer about uh, him. Being out for the season, it was refuted by some of the players and everything. I, I mentioned this on Rock Chalk Sports Talk earlier today, which I don't think you've had a chance to listen to yet because we're still in the works of, of getting that up and whatnot. But I have a, a fun tinfoil hat to this. Not necessarily that I'm saying is true or anything, but just what if the idea of all this stuff is both these coaches are just playing like mental warfare with each other. You have Oklahoma with Brent Venables who – said earlier this week that Dylan Gabriel, their starting quarterback, he expects him to play. But also, we know from last week in the Texas game, he suited him up in his starting lineup, and they made him warm up out on the field, but he didn't end up playing. So obviously he has done that mental warfare thing before to try to make a team think he's playing and and to try to have them prepare for him. What if KU is just returning the favor here? Is, is it that crazy to think both coaches are, are having mental warfare and that neither of the quarterbacks are going to start on Saturday? Uh, I don't think anything's crazy um, at this point. Um, I, I will say this. Coaches who do that do it out of a place of insecurity. Um, and if you don't believe me, you know, obviously that was a big David Beatty thing in Lawrence, right? Um, meanwhile, even though KU had a legitimate quarterback competition under Les Miles, uh, no one could accuse Les Miles of being insecure, and he told everyone every chance he got that Thomas McVitie was leading the quarterback competition until Carter Stanley actually won it. So he was not, you know, I think people sometimes conflate and say, oh, well, Kansas did the multiple quarter. No, that was a legitimate competition where Les Miles wanted one guy to win and the other guy just turned out to be better and Carter Stanley was pretty good. So, um, yeah, I think when coaches play those games, they do it out of a place of insecurity. Um, like you happen to see what Oklahoma has looked like the last two weeks, even when they had Dylan Gabriel, uh, you know, uh, he was so bad and so inconsistent against TCU before his injury that Robert Griffin, the third, who was doing the color commentary on that game, did a whole segment breaking down how bad his footwork was like, um, yeah, I mean, it can't feel good to be OU right now. Conversely for KU, I don't even know how much of an advantage there is because it seems like they would be running the same plays in the same offense. I mean, maybe you fear Jalen Daniels a little bit more and any time stealing you can do anything that that can make the other team have to prepare just a little bit extra. Yeah. I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, but you know, at the same time, it, it wouldn't shock me. Nothing is off the table at this point. I, I think we have yet to, we have a lot to learn about this quarterback situation in Lawrence. And I'm very curious how this thing is going to play out over the next few weeks because, uh, you know, it wasn't an accident that Andy Kotelnicki said on, um, I guess, Wednesday that he said again, he was like, Jalen is day-to-day, guys. He really is. That was his quote or something like that when um, Jordan Gusky asked him about it. So 
uh, yeah, I, I think there's still a lot to learn, including, I mean, someone just needs to ask these coaches the question, does he have a grade three shoulder sprain? Because that's what was reported. So um, I'm, I was surprised no one asked that question directly uh, to a coach today. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that who knows? He might end up being out for the season. I'm sure they're trying to get second opinions. And like you said, I do think he is day-to-day right now. So it's just not something I want to stress out too much about because yeah. guess what? I don't think, at least I was under this opinion all the way through. I don't know about you. I was kind of under the opinion really all week as of Saturday after the game, as of Sunday, as of Monday, whatever, that at least for this week, it wasn't going to be Jalen Daniels. It was going to be Jason Bean this week, regardless of what the status is of Jalen Daniels long-term. And that's what I found really funny. Like, I don't know if you were watching any of the betting lines or whatnot yesterday, yeah. but I mean, it already opened up at, at uh, kind of a head-scratching number. I think a lot of people are, are having trouble trying to handicap what OU should be from a betting standpoint. And I still think there's a little bit of catch-up being had for how to handicap Kansas properly. And so it led to Kansas being a seven, seven-and-a-half-point underdog coming into the game. After that news came out, or after the report or the tweet or however you want to frame it came out, it jumped to like nine, nine-and-a-half, even ten at some sites, which I just I, – I sat there going, wait, why? Why? Did you think Jalen was playing in this Oklahoma game? It, I, and, and to be honest, I have a pretty simple explanation. And I think it's something you, I mean, you say this on your show. I've heard you say this, so you know it too. Betting lines in Vegas. I think people get confused sometimes. The goal of the Vegas betting line is not to predict the final score. And sometimes it does, right? But then sometimes it's off by 142 points and Las Vegas doesn't care because what they care about is having half of the money on the side. Uh, uh, on each side, because then with fees, whatever, they're going to you know, come out ahead. So, um, you know, in a, in a case where maybe the line is seven and then, you know, that tweet goes up, people start panicking, people start hammering OU, even though it really has makes absolutely no difference. I think you're right for this game. Well, then the sports books now have to move that line a little bit to get some additional money back on the KU side of things. So I think that's why the line moved. Um, I, I really don't think it's much more than that, but you're right. That is actually hilarious. And I had not actually considered that a second before you said it, that like, yeah, they should go ahead and announce that Daniel Hyshaw is out too. And then that line might go up to 15 or something. I don't know. Um, it seems a little silly to me. And yes, that line is too big. Um, if Oklahoma, like it is fully in the rent, you know, I don't want to come off like a jerk here. It is fully in the realm of outcomes that Oklahoma will just beat the living breaks off of Kansas and win by 40. Okay. It's in the realm of possibility. Um, I watched OU play TCU before Dylan Gabriel went out. Uh, that OU team sucked. I did not watch OU play Texas in the Red River shootout uh, because they lost 49 to nothing. So I didn't care to. Uh, I watched OU play Kansas State uh, at home under the lights with a strobe light, whatever. OU was not a better team than Kansas State. So it's possible, definitely in the realm of outcomes, that OU will just put it all together and smash KU. But Derek, I have not seen anything from Oklahoma that would indicate since Big 12 play began that they should be a double-digit favorite against any other team in this conference, maybe other than West Virginia at home. Okay, so you mentioned something with the outcome of the game, because I do agree with you. I think part of what's making it so difficult for me, at least, to, to figure out this game is you can never tell what a team's mental situation is going to be going into a game. Like, we know what Oklahoma has on paper. They have some talent. They have some explosive players. The offense, when it's good, can be really good. But it's impossible to tell 
Like, are they going to kind of be in a give-up point of the season because they're 3-3 three and three and their chances of winning the Big 12 or going to a playoff are gone, and for a school like that to have the, those things gone uh, kind of leads them to having disinterest, and maybe that's a little bit of what we saw the, the second half of the TCU game and, and last week against Texas. Or maybe they're going to be so mad about how the last two games have gone, including the rivalry, that they're going to come out with a renewed sense and that – you know, the coaching staff's finally going to get to them. It's hard for me to tell how that's going to go. But if you had to sort out between these four possibilities, Oklahoma blowing out Kansas, Oklahoma winning close against Kansas, and then the reverse, Kansas winning close, Mm -hmm. Kansas blown out OU, how would you power rank the most likely from most to least among those four? I mean, it's, it's a really tough question because of just what I said, right? I've seen nothing the last three weeks to suggest this Oklahoma team would beat Kansas and win by a lot, but it's still Oklahoma. They still have the talent. Now, I will say it's kind of weird. Like, you would have thought Oklahoma really would have got up for the game last week. Um, so, I mean, yes, it's possible that they would definitely get up for this game. They really should, I mean, after getting embarrassed two weeks in a row. But that just makes me question the players and coaching even more, right? That would make me say, you couldn't get up for Texas. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, you can use the motivation of not being ranked, of getting snubbed for game day, of the embarrassing loss to TCU. Maybe you just want to say their quarterback situation was so bad um, that they couldn't get it done. And to that, I would say, um, you know what an editor for the Norman Transcript said on Twitter during the KU game. He said, uh, how does Kansas have a better quarterback and a better backup quarterback than Oklahoma? I was like, what are you doing? You're Oklahoma. How do you not stock the cupboard better? How is Kansas keeping its backup quarterback when you can't? Um so, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I would say most likely Kansas wins close. Second, most likely Oklahoma wins close. Third, most likely Oklahoma wins in a blowout because I don't see Kansas winning in a blowout. And to be honest, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's more likely that Oklahoma wins than Kansas wins. But, again, that's, that is ma- basing it off of brand and basing it off of legacy and who they are and thinking their coaches are great. There's really no empirical evidence. Um, I don't even know if that's right. I'm just throwing the word empirical in there. Um, there's no evidence that has happened this season that you would look at and be like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma is a better team than Kansas. In fact, I would argue you'd say um, their defense has been arguably just as bad. Their offense has been nowhere near as good. Their quarterback play has been subpar to mediocre, and um, they just have a lot of talent. They're trying to figure it out, but it's Oklahoma, right? Like if Oklahoma wins this game 40 to 17, no one will be surprised because it's Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma at home. And again, I do think Brett Venables is a, is, is a good coach that will in time get it figured out. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, college football, and golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. The news on Jalen Daniels let the KU line bleed up after it opened at 7, floating around eight and a half, nine, nine and a half points now. It also lowered the over-under. There's a chance to get in on both of those with better numbers for KU. Be advised. Bet online where the game starts. How much does Jason Bean playing in this game, and, and if he does have to play for a long-term period of time, how does that affect the way that you view Kansas for the short-term and the long-term? Does it affect anything at all? Uh, I, I think it lowers this team's ceiling, but I mean, Jalen Daniels had hit kind of a rough patch that almost made you wonder if it was kind of just like a hot start to the season, because 
I mean, it was everything. It was decision-making was kind of waning a little bit in the read stuff, you know, and, and I think uh, uh, Jason Bean has struggled with that a little bit too, but that was waning. The accuracy wasn't there as it was the first few weeks, the running um, picked up kind of early in the season had kind of tapered off a little bit. And I'm not saying he's bad by any means, but I'm just saying other teams adjust and and figure out how KU is playing, especially with this new offense. So no short term, it could even give a boost, right? It's, it's giving you a different look and, you know, Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels are different quarterbacks. Um, I, I think some people were a little bit confused about the differences between them. Like I saw someone say um, a difference, you know, I, I would say the biggest differences between them are like decision-making and accuracy. Jason Bean is fast. Jason Bean can run the ball. Jason Bean has a huge arm. In fact, I, I go back to his North Texas film where off platform or without being set, he can just flip the ball 50 yards downfield. Like he has all the physical tools you would want. Now we can argue about how much he likes contact or whatever. That's a different thing. Um, can he make the right decisions? I didn't think he did that um, in the option game and the, in the zone read game, stuff like that. I didn't think he always did that. Can he be patient? Can he not run too early? And can he deliver an accurate ball? You saw what happened when he gave his receivers a chance um, in this last game, they scored a bunch of touchdowns. You also saw what happened when he missed Devin Neal in the flat. You also saw what happened when he overthrew a short receiver. And I asked him about that. I, you know, I asked, was that just an overthrow? And he said, yeah, like he was just trying to hit a guy five yards in front of him and threw it 10. So um, if, if he can be good at that stuff, then I think it's a little drop off, but I think long-term there probably is, you know, you, you want your number one quarterback. There's a reason why Jalen Daniels won that job. And so I, I think you want your number one quarterback in there. So I, I might be the difference between a win or two. Um, it, it wouldn't shock me if this team won six or seven games, whereas maybe with Jalen, they would have won eight, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I think about what you're talking about there is uh, the big key for me is that, yeah, it's Jalen gives you a better, some of the receivers maybe a better shot more consistently to make a play. And what's crazy, I was looking at some of the pro football focus numbers today, and, and I know we've kind of talked back and forth about, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not the be-all, end-all. It's just kind of a, an extra tool, an extra stat that you, that you add to all the other stats that are out there. But Kansas in receiving grade is number two in the country, <laughs> only behind Ohio State who has like a billion first-round picks at receivers. So the more opportunities that you just let these receivers make plays, it's actually worked to KU's benefit so far this season. And something else that I was kind of talking about on RCST earlier today but didn't really have uh, a ton of time to, to kind of dive into it is like you could have made the argument that Jalen Daniels is the best quarterback in the Big 12. At the very least, he was playing at that level and in that conversation. And it becomes a little bit more difficult to figure out where Jason Bean would be because I do think that you see some of those highlight moments that are similar to Jalen, but because there have been some inconsistencies, and this is something else I'm struggling with too, we saw a lot of Jason Bean inconsistencies a season ago. How much of that is Jason Bean? How much of that is he's just better now and he just has way better supporting cast? Because it's one thing to you know be thrown into a situation where you're under pressure all the time and um, you're on a one and eight team or, or whatever it was before he got injured. It's another thing to be on a team that has a lot more insulation like he has now. Well, it definitely has better everything, right? Receivers who are more developed, uh, better running backs, better ingredients, better pe- pizza, Papa John's. I had to throw that in there. Anytime I start talking about better. We are but, not sponsored, um, but we will take it. Yes. Actually, if they would like to sponsor us, go ahead, send me a check directly. I'll give you my address. Um, 
Uh, wow, I really threw myself off with that tangent. Yes, uh, the pieces around Jason Bean are better, and not just pieces of pizza, but also pieces on the field. And but but I also think that's the thing that's that's kind of been with him and associated with him, even going back to his North Texas days. Um, that those inconsistencies have always been there, and now is kind of the time to see if that's changed. You know, I don't doubt that he's improved. I don't doubt that he had a great offseason. I also think, you know, the coaches really wanted to keep him around because it's very important to have a backup quarterback, especially when you're running an offense where the quarterback is going to have to run. So while I believe the coaches that Jason Bean was playing the best football of his career in the preseason, I think some of that's evident. Um, I also know some of that, or I would, I would in, infer that some of that um, are coaches trying to keep a guy happy and making sure, Hey, you're right there in the competition. Don't transfer, you know, don't start looking elsewhere. This is your big senior year. Like you're going to get in the field. We're going to design packages for you. That's stuff that you say to keep a guy around. So it's nice that he validated that in the first game. I think the next like two or three, um, two of which are going to be massive challenges for him. Uh, or, or uh, I'll step back, give him four games. I, I think that's where, where you'll learn. Oklahoma is vulnerable. Baylor and Oklahoma State will be really, really tough tests at Texas Tech is another winnable game. Uh, if if he can have you in a couple of those games, then I, I think you'd say, okay, Jason Bean has dramatically, seriously improved. If he's going to struggle through three of them, then I think you would say he's probably improved a little bit, but he's probably, you know, maybe close to being the same Jason Bean from last year. Okay, we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks here. I do want to, I mean, there's so much else going on. I mentioned with the receivers, the way they're playing. Offensive line's been great all year. Running back position without Daniel Highshaw, we got a little bit of a taste of what that'll look like uh, with Kai Thomas and Savion Morrison having one kind of long run. Defensive side of the ball, I didn't think it was like a horrible game. It wasn't, I don't think, a great game either. I mean, it was... You had a couple turnovers, you played a good first half, you just kind of had one guy kind of beat you up uh, on one end of the field. So I'll kind of leave the floor to you. Uh, what mm -hmm. stuck out to you the most about the TCU game that kind of leads into the Oklahoma game in the second half of the season here outside of the quarterback play? Can I say something insane? Do I have your permission? Mm, yes. Okay. I think the TCU game was Kansas's best complimentary football performance of the season and it didn't happen at the same time and it wasn't their best game because you know they didn't whatever um in the first half kansas's offense was good they they just missed a couple things right they fumble at the one yard line okay that happens they miss a long field goal okay that happens they have a fourth down conversion in plus territory where a defensive player makes a great play hits the receiver as he catches it ball comes loose easily and without stretching it at all Kansas should have had at least 10 more points that half. That's if you don't fumble at the one yard line and drop a fourth down pass. I mean, give them seven more points, whatever. And that's a game you still scored into the thirties against what is a very good and very fast and very difficult TCU defense. If I told you Kansas's offense would face the number one offense in the big 12 score three points in the first half, you would not think they were in the game. The defense got four stops before TCU scored a touchdown. Okay. Like I thought the defense was actually great. And then the second half is, a, you know, it's a football game. Teams are going to score eventually, especially the number one offense in the Big 12. And for Kansas to, at the end of that game, have a chance to drive for the win. Again, given that they scored three points in the first half, I think you take that from both units of the ball because the offense came to life in the second half. Neither were perfect. Neither were the best either have been, right? Like against Iowa State, KU's defense, was that was the best game they've played. KU's offense played its best games 
arguably against West Virginia, possibly against Houston, against Duke. They were pretty good too. Um, you know, I'm excluding the opener. That was complimentary football to me. And that was almost good enough to beat a team that might be ranked in the top 10, um, might be a fringe college football playoff contender. Like that was good enough to beat that team. They just didn't make the plays at the end of the game. I mentioned the couple misses by Jason Bean. They might win that game with Jalen Daniels playing the whole game. I mean, I, you really don't know. So um, I think that was my lasting impression. You know, I've left a lot of these games thinking Kansas should win. And I don't know if I totally think Kansas should have beat TCU, but I, I came away from that game thinking that validates what Kansas has done more than any win that they've had this season to lose like they did and then stay exactly, you know, basically where they were in the AP top 25 going to 19. Um, that tells you people around the nation were like, yep, this is a top 20 team. And they showed it. That was a really high played, you know, high level game uh, between two high level teams. Okay, in just a moment, we're going to switch gears and get to Scott's worst coaching decision of the week. Last week, we had the rare non-Nathaniel Hackett-related <laughs> victor. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see where we go this week because last week was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk me through what's, what's going through your head for this week's uh, coaching decisions, worst coaching decisions of the week. Well, Derek, I was just thinking I've rambled too much on this episode, and then I looked at what I've written for the coaching decisions, and boy, did I write some paragraphs. So I'm going to try and condense these. Um, I'll go from the bottom of my list and work up. I have four candidates this week. Um, number one, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Texas A&M lost on the final play to Alabama. They tried a, a wide receiver route in the end zone. Defensive back broke it up, and after the game, uh, he told uh, TuscaloosaNews.com that he was looking at Jimbo Fisher and he was yelling, Evan, 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 Evan. And Evan Stewart was the wide receiver that they threw to on the last play of the game. So that was a really bad coaching decision to shout the name of the guy who was going to get the ball, wouldn't you say? Yeah, probably um, not great to give that away. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Matt Campbell. Um, Iowa State. Let's see. Okay. Before a fourth down attempt, they were going for it at midfield. Um, against K-State, and they were down. Matt Campbell, K-State had called a timeout. Iowa State, if they didn't get this, there were two and a half minutes left. They were going to need to stop. Matt Campbell then called a timeout after the K-State timeout. So then when K-State got the ball back with two minutes and 30 seconds or whatever left, Iowa State only had two timeouts and not three, and they didn't even end up using one at the end of the game, and they lost. So that was a 40-second mistake where K-State had just called a timeout, and then Matt Campbell said, you know what? We just had time to think about this fourth down. Let's take some additional time to think about this fourth down at the expense of our timeouts. Okay. Number three, Zach Taylor. Um, He had a first and goal at the two. He went pass, then a pass on a wide receiver trick play that was 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, then another pass, and then on fourth down, a shovel pass. And passing is not always bad, but running a play that loses you 12 yards when you're in that situation is just awful. Um, Zach Taylor is a good like week-to-week coach. He is a very bad in-game coach. Uh, he also had a 15-play, 73-yard drive that lasted eight minutes and got no points. And then when the Ravens went for – I can't remember if they went for two or, or what happened that people were all up in arms with at the end of that game. But basically, Zach Taylor had a chance to run out the clock if they just went slow and methodical. Oh, the Ravens kicked a field goal. That's what it was. They didn't go for a touchdown. If he had just run out the clock and and done what he did, they would have won the game. But instead, they left the Ravens too much time. Finally, Nathaniel Hackett. Down three. Um, yes. It, you know, look, it was overtime. It was fourth and one. They were at the five-yard line. Totally agree with them going for it, okay? Um, to quote Richard Sherman, this is, I, I wrote his quote. 
Final play, you got to run the ball again. I wish I had Marshawn up here. Like one yard, you need one yard. Run the ball, run the ball. All he has to do is run the football, run the dang ball, learn from your mistakes, run the ball. Okay, that's a quote from Richard Sherman. And I don't even totally agree with that because the guy was open on the play. But anytime Richard Sherman goes on a rant like that, I'm going to include him on the list. So those are the four. Um, And Derek, I got to tell you, I wanted to give this to Nathaniel Hackett in the worst way. I wanted to give this to Matt Campbell. Uh, Jimbo Fisher yelling out the name of the wide receiver like five times before having the play go to him. I think that has to win the award. That was actually going to be my pick because it's not just that he was yelling out his name, which, as we said, is very stupid. It's also that the route was like a one yard out route when you needed like two or three yards. And I'm not even sure he gets in the end zone if he makes the catch at the sideline. Yeah, it, it just wasn't a good week for coaching. I, I also, you know what, self-scout, I need to do a better job going back over my coaching decisions because by the time we tape this, sometimes I forget them. Sometimes I write too many words. Um, but yeah, it was familiar faces, by the way. I believe Nathaniel Hackett, Matt Campbell, and Zach Taylor have all received honorable mention slash won this award in previous weeks. So uh, we are we are calculating points. And, and Derek, I think next week we'll give everyone an update on where the leaderboard is at. Yeah, we'll plan on doing that. Well, Scott, I appreciate you putting the effort on the coaching decisions. You can hear him on Booth Review with Kansas City Sports Network. You can see him at a Halsey concert, most likely, rocking the Halsey t-shirt today. Scott, appreciate the time, man. And this is Halsey Rego Park. It is a high school uh, basketball program. I bought this shirt because it said Halsey. Anyway, um, yeah, that is correct. Thank you for having me, Derek. And Papa John's, if you're listening, please send a pizza my way. I actually think your pizza is pretty good. Good stuff. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we are going to preview the KU-Oklahoma game. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about or want to follow along on the action, you can reach out to me at Radio on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star review, and that way you're getting all the latest with Locked on Jayhawks. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. You can hear me later today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN in Lawrence. Till then, deuces.